And again, take your Bibles and let's read together. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 4b, we discussed that whole issue of the A and the B in verse 5 last Sunday evening. We won't rehearse that, but we'll begin right there in the middle of verse 4 as it's, as it's so marked in your English Bibles. We'll consider the remainder of this passage that we started last week. Again, God's word. Listen as he speaks to us. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray and thank him for that. We do thank you, Father, for your word that it endures forever. There is no end. You have spoken and you will always speak to us this way. We love you. We ask now that you would cause your word to ring true in our hearts and minds, that we would leave this place changed, that the things we think and the things we do and the things we say this week would be informed by your word. May your spirit guide each of us this week into all the truth, and may we live there. We love you. We thank you. And we ask now, Father, that you might be pleased to change everyone in this room, whether a believer or an unbeliever. May no one leave this room without having tasted and seen that the Lord our God is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, when your parents talk to you about God, and they start talking about God being three in one, He is Father, 
And they show you passages in the Bible that talk about God the Father. And then they talk about that he is also God the Son. And they show you all those verses in the Bible that talk about God the Son. And then they talk about the Holy Spirit. And probably the Holy Spirit's the toughest one, isn't it? Or I should say, isn't he? He's the hardest one to kind of get a grip on. The father is, is okay, understand that. The father is the one who sent the son. And, and the son, as we've been seeing all the way through the gospel of John, is, is, is the one who's speaking. Jesus says, I'm not saying anything to you that the father has not given me and told me to say to you. I don't speak on my own. I speak what the father sends. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is a little harder. The Son's not, because we read all about him in the Gospels, don't we? How he came down and took on flesh. Now, that can be difficult. The whole idea that God the Son existed in eternity forever and forever, never having a time when he didn't exist, and yet there was a time when he came and he took on flesh as a little baby and grew to be an adult man and did all that he did to save us from our sins. And then he ascended back on high, enthroned with the Father. But then the Holy Spirit, that's a little bit tougher. The Holy Spirit's never been seen. The Spirit works like the wind works. We see it blowing, but we don't know where it's coming from. Jesus says that's how the Holy Spirit is. This morning, some of you, and this is one of the reasons you ought to follow along in your Bibles, reading, because had you been following along in your Bibles, reading, if you're reading the ESV, the English Standard Version, like many of you do, I know, you would have noticed that Pastor Bullock rightly corrected the ESV because it almost to the, to the word translates the word breath as breath. The Hebrew word ruach as breath. But Pastor Bullock rightly translated it in all but one place in that passage he read in the Old Testament as the spirit capital S because the word for spirit in the Old Testament Hebrew and the word for breath and the word for wind are the same words so it depends on the context and so it was the spirit that worked on those dry bones it was the Holy Spirit just like the Holy Spirit has to work in your dead bones we talked about this just last month when I did that, that little series, right? We looked at Romans chapter 3, that we're all dead in our sins. But none of us understand. None of us seek God. Why? Because we're dead. Dead people don't seek. Dead people don't understand. And so the Holy Spirit. So it's good for us to 
to consider. Just because the Holy Spirit is probably the least well understood member of the Holy Trinity. It's also good for us to remind ourselves, and I didn't do this last week, and I haven't done it at all through the whole series in John, and particularly when we picked up in chapter 14 where Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, and we get much of our understanding of the doctrine and work of the Holy Spirit from Jesus in those three chapters, 14 through 16. I didn't mention this, so it's a good time to mention it. We have to think about the Holy Spirit not as an it. And there are those that speak of the Holy Spirit as some sort of force in our lives, some sort of influence in our lives. And while he does influence us, he's not an influence. He's a person. And we know this from a number of passages in the Bible. We could go back to the second Samuel passage. He's the Lord. He's God. And God's not an it. God's not a force, though he is a force to be reckoned with. He's not an influence, even though he does influence us. He's a person. We know the Holy Spirit's a person because he's God. But we're even told in passages like Acts chapter 5... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You lie to people. You lie to persons. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then people communicate. A personhood communicates. The Spirit, we're told, communicates with us. We saw him speaking through David in 2 Samuel. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that he testifies to us in our spirit that we're his children. All of that speaks to his being a person, a personhood. The Father, his divine person. The Son, his divine person. The Holy Spirit, divine person. It's important that we think clearly about the Holy Spirit. Up until now, in chapter 14, to this point, we've seen the Holy Spirit denominated as, referred to as a helper, interpreter, a witness, and last week we saw him as the prosecutor. And aren't you glad after hearing last Sunday night's sermon that he's not prosecuting a case against the church. He's prosecuting a case against the world, the world system. And here in this passage, beginning in verse 4b through verse 15, the Lord Jesus sets this stark contrast. This is the work of the Spirit. Out there against the world system, against the, the prince of darkness, against that untruth, the father of lies, the prince of the wrath of which we have been children of wrath. Out there, the Holy Spirit is going about the business in the holy court of the Holy Trinity condemning. We saw it earlier in John where Jesus spoke 
to his disciples and said, all those who believe have everlasting life. But if you do not believe, the wrath of God abides upon you. Present tense. This is part of an aspect of the wrath of God that's being poured out upon the world is that the Holy Spirit is prosecuting the case. He's condemning. He's poking them in the chest and reminding them of three things. Their unbelief, they did not believe Jesus Christ in him or about him. They didn't take him at his word. Second thing Jesus mentioned there is that he would condemn them concerning righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father. See, they didn't believe that he came down from the Father. And he had told them, the Father sent me. They didn't believe that. They didn't accept that. They rejected that. And now he's saying, and I'm going to go back to the Father. In other words, I came from glory. I'm going back to glory. Let's, let's just boil this down. What the world will not accept is the eternal Deity of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. He was a good man. He did good things. He said good things. And if we would just follow his moral example and follow his moral teachings, we'd all be better. All we need is love. They didn't accept that. And the Holy Spirit is poking and prodding them at every turn. You were wrong. You're guilty. Then the third thing Jesus said he'll do to the world, please notice, this is what the Spirit's going to do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. And then the transition takes place in verse 12 and 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he shifts from his work against the world, and, and I said it rightly, against the world condemning the world, explaining to them. And and again, I said last week, and I'm going to say it again this week because it's easy for us to miss this. If we would understand and if we would see and view the world the way the Lord Jesus Christ did as he walked this plane, this globe, that little space of land that he operated upon, and he saw them as helpless and harassed as being sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion for them. And if as we walked around, if we would say, you know what? These people that, that do not believe in Jesus Christ, these people who reject the fact that Jesus is eternal son of God, that he came from heaven, he returned to heaven. And if, if, they, if they do not believe that Jesus judged the ruler of this world, Every moment of their life is under the condemnation of the Holy Spirit. It's a miserable way to live. Just think about it. How about the, how about the, how about the wife who every waking moment of her life, she has a husband who belittles her. You would say she'd be miserable, wouldn't you? Or a child who never does a single thing right in the eyes of his or her mother or father. And they're always being criticized. Can't you do that better? Can't you make a better grade? You can do better than that. Never a positive encouraging word. But only a condemning word. 
You'd say that's a miserable life that child's living. Well, that's the life that the world lives under the heavy hand of the Holy Spirit at every moment. You didn't believe Jesus. You don't believe he's God. And you don't believe he conquered Satan. And you don't believe he's coming again to show his triumph over all things. You don't believe there's a time when you're going to have to bow your knee and declare that he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And the spirit just keeps pouring it on over and over. And if we had an eye like Christ to see them in that misery, we'd be quicker to tell them about Jesus, wouldn't we? But that's not the sermon for tonight. That was last week's sermon. Sermon for tonight shifts gears and moves to the church when the spirit of truth comes. But we talked about this, how wonderful it was of the Lord. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How sympathetic, how, 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 how wonderfully loving he was. I'm going away and you need more than I've taught you. And I'm going to send you someone. He's already told them that he's going to ask the father back in chapter 14. I'm going to ask the father and the father's going to send the spirit. The spirit of truth. Another one. Remember chapter 14 verse 16. Another one like me. In other words of the same stuff. He was going to be divine. He was going to be the third person of the Holy Trinity. He's going to be just like I am. And everything that's said about him here is just what Jesus has said about himself. When the spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak. He will not speak rather on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare the things to you that are to come. That's exactly what Jesus said about himself, wasn't it? I don't speak on my own. It's the Father that's speaking. Now here's the summary of all this. And it goes all the way through verse 15. All the Father has, is mine. Therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so the Spirit's going to have what Jesus is. And Jesus has what's the Father's. And Jesus is saying over and over. And we've seen it all through John. The doctrine of the Trinity is just replete through this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have at least the Father and the Son being God alike in the very first verse. And then it just keeps unfolding. This mystery of the divine Godhead, the three in one, the one in three. Jesus gives us some of that tonight. But I don't want us to focus on that alone because that's not alone what's being set forth here. It's certainly in the warp and woof of that paragraph. But let's back up. When the spirit of truth comes, again, Jesus is the truth, right? We're going to see this come very explicit in chapter or we did see it back in chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And now he's introduced already once. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And now again, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. So, he is the guide. Or, as commentators often point out, the revealer. He's the one who's going to reveal all truth. Above... He's the prosecutor of the case against the world. Here, he is the revealer of all truth to the church. Notice, as I've already said, but I'll repeat, what the Spirit teaches the church will be consonant with what Christ has been teaching. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears, he will speak. You say, well, how do you get him and what he's speaking being the case that Jesus, he's just going to say what Jesus said. He's going to speak the same truth that Jesus spoke. Well, because above, verse 5, Jesus says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, Why? Where am I going? And then verse 7, he says, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. The helper will not come to you unless I do. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now he says, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you. He's going to speak what the one who sins says to say. And now... God the Father tells the Son what to say. The Son tells the Spirit what to say. They're speaking one. And who would be surprised because the three are one. The same in substance. The same in being. The same in message. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. That what the Spirit says, the Son said. What the Son said, the Father said. And what the, what the Father says, the Spirit saying. They're speaking one. They're speaking with one voice because they are one God. Next, let me address a possible question here. The Spirit. The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. Or he will reveal all the truth. Is the Spirit, we've already determined he's, he's, he's guiding us into the same truth that the Son spoke. He's revealing the same that the Son spoke. Is he, is he revealing the same way that the Son did? Well, the answer to that is no, right? The Son spoke audibly to his hearers. The Spirit doesn't speak audibly. The Spirit is described in the Scriptures as a still, small voice. We just mentioned earlier, Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit speaks to our spirit. There is this, this, this you know, we, we Presbyterians, we kind of, Outside of the highlands of Scotland, we kind of shy away from this word, but it's a good word. 
there, there's something of a mystical communication that takes place between the spirit of God and the spirit of man. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've, you've all experienced that. Those times when without a word being spoken, you're in prayer and this, this calm, this assurance comes over you. And there's no explanation of that except the spirit of God is working in your spirit, speaking to your spirit that you're a son or a daughter of God. It's a wonderful thing. It's one of those gifts, it's one of those fruit that we heard of this morning that leads to sanctification, ultimately to eternal life. Christ spoke audibly. The Spirit testifies not to our ears, but to our spirits. But also, another question might arise. Is he still giving revelation? If this guiding into all truth And here's why commentators often refer to this as the guide or the revealer is because those men who composed the New Testament documents after Christ's ascension, they received the word from the Spirit. And as you know, there's much confusion been caused in this world since the time of Christ, but particularly for some reason, particularly since 1901. And you'll hear people all the time, well, the spirit, the spirit's still, still speaking to the church, the spirit still. And so I always say, well, just write it down. You know, if the spirit's the one saying it, you better write it down. Well, nobody wants to do that. They just want to tell you what, what he said to them and you're somehow supposed to believe it Spurgeon had a wonderful line some young whippersnapper said the the Lord told me thus and so and he said interestingly he didn't tell me that he was trying to convince Mr. Spurgeon that he should be doing the same thing he was doing namely not smoking his cigars and Spurgeon hadn't heard that word from the Lord. The point is, is the Holy Spirit spoke to the apostles like he had spoken to the prophets and to the, the beautiful psalmist, as we read earlier in 2 Samuel. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that that became the foundation upon which the church was established. The words and the works of the apostles and the prophets. And we no longer build. We're no longer having a foundation laid. We're building, as Peter says, we're, we're building, we're placing those bricks and those blocks and those rocks and those stones one on another, building up the kingdom of God. We're not relaying the foundation. And this is the source book of the foundation. The Spirit revealed it to men. As Peter said, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God 
We read about one occasion, as we didn't we, in 2 Samuel 23. But men spoke of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the very same thing that Paul's saying in a different way, more theologically oriented, when he says that the, that the, that the word of God was breathed out by God and profitable. Some of your translations render it that way. The ESV does, breathed out. Some of the older ones, more, more uh, uh, unclear and opened up to a lot of misunderstanding by saying that all scripture was inspired. And then all of a sudden, you know, people are inspired to write this song. People were inspired to, to put this, this, this score of music down on paper. And people were inspired to go to, to Switzerland and see the Alps. And people were inspired by the Alps when they got there. And all of a sudden, that's equated with the scriptures being inspired. But no, it's, it's literally breathed out by God. When David said, he put the words on my lips, on my tongue, in my mouth. He breathed, breathed those words out. But as I said, that's part of the foundation work of the prophets and the apostles. That's part of what the Holy Spirit was to do when he says here, he will guide you into all the truth. But there's a other part of the guiding and truth that, that goes beyond the foundation and goes to the laying of the bricks, laying of the stones. And that's the, not the inspiration or the God-breathing, not the revelation but it's the illumination, the supernatural enlivening and enlightening of our minds to understand the breathed out word of God. So the spirit gives it to us and then he helps us understand it. He gave it to us through the prophets and the apostles and now in day-to-day -day life, he's giving us understanding. I've heard people do this. I've heard people pray, Lord, please, please illumine your word for us tonight. No, the word is clear. That's one of the cardinal tenets of the biblical faith, isn't it? We believe in the authority of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture, and the perspicuity or clarity of scripture. There's nothing unclear about the word of God. What's muddled is our brains, our minds, our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit works on. He's already worked on the revealed word. It's there. It's here. We've got it. Now he works on our, our, our fallen minds to open the word and to understand it. So he gave us a clear word, and now he's giving us a clear mind. And I've already told y'all since COVID, mine's been a little less than clear. A little foggy from time to time, but that's getting better. Daniel Claudino, after I said that 
a few Sundays ago, came up afterward and said, I did notice that today. You got to love the Brazilians. I miss them. They're not here tonight. They're in Florida. Aren't you glad that when we go to the Holy Scriptures, and by the way, this, this, this touches on our prayer life, doesn't it? When we go to the Scriptures and we open them, are we asking the Spirit of the living God to give us clarity of mind, to give us understanding, to make the Word of God come alive in us? So that we can, we can believe it better. We can understand it and know it better. And we can go out and live it better. And therefore honor the Lord God glorifying him and enjoying him better and better and better. Let me back up though. Part of the Holy Spirit's work in guiding us or revealing to us. Starts with regeneration, doesn't it? Where he changes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that we see Jesus properly. So that we believe Jesus as Jesus is presented. So that we believe that he is the eternal Son of God who came down from heaven and went back. To heaven, And so that we believe that he accomplished his work and part of his work was to judge the evil one. That's part of his guiding work. Regeneration, bringing about conversion, which then issues in adoption and then to sanctification. guiding work of the Holy Spirit. Notice one more thing here as we have just a bit more time. He's going to guide you into all the truth. Now we're not at all to understand this that that means that Jesus hasn't been guiding them into all the truth. He's just speaking in degree. But remember the Holy Spirit's already been doing this. He is just going to do it now in a fuller measure. Just as Jesus came in the fullness of time, in the course of redemptive history, in a point in time, so the Holy Spirit, and, and back to Jesus, remember, we read about the angel of the Lord this morning. Did, did everybody pay attention as you as 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 pastor was reading that passage the angel of the lord said and then it said this is what the lord said the angel of the lord was none other than the pre-incarnate lord jesus christ speaking in that passage he's always been speaking the truth the Holy Spirit has always been speaking the truth. The Father has always been speaking the truth. The same message, the same God, three in one, speaking. So here, when Jesus says he's going to guide you into all the truth, he's talking about, 
He's already been guiding you in all the truth. He is guiding you into all the truth. And he's going to guide you into even more truth. It's to your advantage I go away so that he can accomplish all the truth. And then beyond the, reve- the revelation that we have in scripture, he's still working in our minds and hearts today to understand it. The Holy Spirit, it's to our advantage for him to come because he is with us. As the son is the God man seated on high. Remember what I said last week. Part of the advantage is that Jesus, as he was with his disciples, he was in bodily form and he continues to be in bodily form. He was with them in Jerusalem. He was not with the saints up in Galilee. But now the spirit has come in fullness and the spirit is with the saints here in Germany, in Peru, in Brazil, in South Africa, in China. Wherever a saint is, there God is the Holy Spirit with them. No limitations by body. That's part of the advantage. And finally, very Briefly, not nearly enough time to say this. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. How is it that he glorifies Christ? By simply telling us all about the work of Jesus, convincing us of the work of Jesus, convincing us of the person of Jesus. You believe that Jesus Christ is divine tonight because the Holy Spirit convinced you. He guided you to that truth. You wouldn't have stumbled upon it on your own. But the spirit of the living God guided you to that truth, to discover that truth in the word of God where it's clearly revealed. The son came to reveal the father. And the spirit came to reveal the son. And the father sent the spirit And the Son sent the Spirit so that we would understand that the Spirit is to be glorified like the Father and the Son are glorified. And it's no wonder then that Jesus finishes all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine, declare it to you. He being the Holy Spirit. And this is just wound up. There's just a ball of twine here of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And over and over, Jesus reminds them that this is to your advantage. And the Spirit will glorify me. The Spirit doesn't detract from the Son. The Son doesn't detract from the Spirit. And the Son and the Spirit do not detract from the Father and the Father from the Son and the Spirit. They all point to one another. And they all elevate one another. So that the creed is right, that the spirit is to be worshipped with the father and the son. Well, he's the spirit who prosecutes the case against the world. And he's the revealer, the guide to the church to guide us into all truth. 
as we sit under the teaching of the Word every week, it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching us. That's remarkable to think about, isn't it? That's the reason the Reformers were so big on this, that when the Word of God is faithfully preached by a a minister called by God, gifted by God, recognized by the church, when, when the Word is faithfully preached, that's Christ speaking. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes what is Christ and guides us to understand it and pierces our hearts with it and fills our minds with it so that we glorify God in all that we think and do. Let's not grieve the person of the Holy Spirit tonight by walking out of this place unchanged. Let's receive the word of God. Let's love the word of God. Let's pray asking the Spirit to guide us to understand God's word more and more and better and better. And let's go out and glorify Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. Father, thank you for this evening. And now we pray that you bless our travels as we go to our homes, that we might be able to return again to worship you and that we might be free this week to speak to others with gentleness and meekness of your wonderful goodness. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.